And dear Lord, I just want to thank you for all the people who are able to come and that we all want to learn about agriculture, but more than that, we want to learn about what you want us to do. So I just ask that you would give all of us some humility, myself and all of us, and bless us as we seek what you want for us. Amen. So I'll start with a brief introduction. My name is Weston Adams, and I planted my first fruit trees in 2013. Um, it was more of a family project when we, did, when we started it, but as we did it, more and more I became interested in it, and I'm currently 19 years old, so been doing fruit trees for, how many years would that be? Five years? Um, and I live in central Tennessee with my family, and that's where we do fruit trees as part of a larger homestead project. Um, it's just for our family at this point. So let me give you a brief overview first of what we're going to look at. One thing I really want to stress with this is we want to grow fruit feasibly. You can do so many things to make your fruit growing and your trees do better and better and better, but it's got to be something that we can do. It's got to be something that we can, um, that can fit into our lives. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I'm also going to talk about some general principles that apply to fruit growing. These principles are um, large principles that would apply across the country, not just things that would apply in one region. So they're not so much specifics as far as what to do with your soil or your uh, specific location. They're general things that you need to implement that would apply anywhere across the country. Um, third, we're going to talk about some, I'm going to do some regional spotlights, and that is going to be some information for local areas, just some select local areas across the country, and that's going to consist of some interviews. I interviewed a few people from different parts of the country, um, and so that will be what we're going to talk about there, and then questions will be at the end. So if you have any questions, let's wait, hold them. It makes it work better for the recording if we wait until the end to do the questions. So that will be at the end. To start with, let's talk about feasibility. Um, I'm going to be talking about some different information, but I want to preface it by saying don't let all the information overwhelm you. It's, it's to help you. That's the goal of the information. And if it's overwhelming, still plant the tree. It's better to plant the tree than to not. Um, and like I said there, in general, people who plant trees get more fruit than people who don't. <laughs> so we're going to talk about some different things. Do what you can. and and then ask the Lord to bless it. And I have a little verse from Ecclesiastes that I think applies here. It says, In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. And that's something that I think applies to fruit growing. You don't always know what's going to do best, but you just kind of have to dive in at some point and start planting um, and do the best you can at each step, but you've got to get in there at some point. The general principles we're going to look at. First one will be site selection. 
choosing a site for your orchard. Second, we'll look at soil preparation, then tree selection, then tree planting, and then I'll briefly touch on pests and disease management. Okay, so site selection. Maybe you have a new piece of property or maybe you're even looking to buy a piece of property and you're wondering, what is the best place to plant my trees? I would say that probably the number one thing you're gonna look for, at least among the top, is gonna be full sun. That is very important. If you don't have full sun, there are certain trees, especially certain species that will grow, but you're gonna have a limit, an innate limit set on your orchard because you just don't have enough sun to, even if everything else is right, you don't have enough sun to really get what you could out of your trees. So full sun, that's very important. Second, you wanna look for fertile soil. Um, and I'm gonna talk about that briefly here. Um, higher ground. If you have a higher section of your land, um, I'll explain this in just a minute here, that's good. Sometimes, at least in our area, sometimes the most fertile soils are actually in the lowlands, but there is an advantage to having higher ground um, and a northern slope. We'll talk about that in a minute. So full sun, I talked about that. You're looking to make use of all that energy that the Lord sends every day, and we just need to make use of it. Fertile soils. You may have seen up there, I had something about the lazy land clearers error. Um, soils in general, you're going to want to look for soils that support good vegetation. Deep, um, deep soils, soils that aren't waterlogged, soils that have fewer rocks. If it supports good native vegetation on your property, then it's likely to, to be more conducive to supporting trees. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the lazy land clearers error. This only applies if you have to clear your site. Many of us have spots that are already cleared, and that's nice to be able to plant our trees. But if you have to clear a site, the lazy landowner, a land clearer, would love to clear a site like this. Because you only have a few trees here. Oops, let me go back. You only have... You only have a few trees here few trees here. But the problem with this is that the reason you only have a few trees is because the, the soil is poor. So I just want to warn you all, if you're clearing your land, don't clear the easiest spot to clear because that's going to be the spot that doesn't have very many trees. And the reason it doesn't have very many trees is because it's poor soil. So that's something you're going to want to watch for if you're clearing the land. Um, make sure you choose a spot that, for example, Maybe one like this. It's going to be a lot more work, but obviously the soil there is going to have a lot more potential for supporting your trees in the long run. Higher ground. Why is it helpful? When I'm talking about higher ground and it being more helpful, largely what I'm talking about is temperature. Cold air sinks, and so when those Arctic fronts like we've had recently in parts of the U.S. come in, and settle over an area, the coldest parts are going to be in the bottom, in the valleys. And so if you have land that has rises, and we're not talking about mountains, we're just talking about maybe one area is 
80 feet higher than another area. That's going to give you an advantage in the winter and in the spring when your trees are blooming. And it'll, it would be a good place to plant your trees. Just to illustrate this, these are some peppers out at our property after the first frost this last winter. The main difference between these two is that the ones on the left were 80 feet higher in elevation than the ones on the right. And so it can actually be a significant temperature difference just based on elevation. So that's just to illustrate the um, higher ground, that the higher ground is beneficial. And let's talk about northern slopes a little bit. This seems a little bit counterintuitive, but if you do have a northern slope, that's going to be a good thing in many cases for an orchard. And again, we're talking about temperature here. In the winter, when you get the cold spells, very, very often it is not cold that kills trees, it is extremes in temperatures. So maybe a tree could withstand zero degrees or, or even let's say colder, um, maybe negative 20 degrees for a week, just straight cold weather but that same tree would die if it drops from 70 degrees to zero degrees because it's the extremes that kill the trees more so than just the bitter cold and a southern slope gets a lot more extremes because it gets the sun when the rise when the sun rises and beats on that slope and then the sun sets and it cools off so you have the temperature going like this on a southern slope whereas on, on a northern slope it's going to be going more like this i'll just illustrate that real quick here here we go. We've, we've all probably seen this, how the snow on the north side, of, on a northern slope, doesn't melt as fast. That's illustrating the fact that there's not so much, there aren't so many temperature extremes on the northern side of a slope. Okay, let's talk a little bit about soil preparation. Once again, do your best and then plant the tree. At some point, you're going to have to plant the tree. But there are several things you can do that will really help if you're able to do them. I've divided this into basics. Um, for people who are not able to do the fullest extent, I would say that the basics for getting a tree in the ground would be to dig a hole quite a bit bigger than the roots, incorporate organic matter slash compost into that hole, and then provide some fertilizer. That would be a minimum. If you're able to take it further using a soil test, there will, there will be great improvements in many cases. Um, it would, I would say that if you're able to do it, it's definitely worth it. And this is something I'm just working on in our orchard, learning, learning how to do, but it does, I believe it does make quite a difference. Um, you can start by taking a soil test, ideally a year before you plant your orchard, so you can get the soil like you really want, and then you'll, you'll be adjusting the soil pH and the nutrition. Talk a little bit about tree selection. When you're selecting a tree, you have several different levels of selecting. First, you have to select species. Are you going to be growing apples or are you going to be growing cherries? Once you've done that, you have to select variety. Are you going to be growing a red delicious or a golden delicious? And then finally, you want to make sure that whatever you do choose, can pollinate itself well. Make sure you have a package that will be fruitful in the long run. When you're selecting a species, 
the first place you can start to get you in the right ballpark is something called a USDA zone map. And I'll go ahead and show you that right now. This is a map that divides the United States into zones based on the winter temperature. So you have the different zonings. I believe here in Texas we're in zone eight, but there are some other zones and that will get you in the ballpark as far as what trees you can grow. Because in the nursery, the, the catalog will tell you what zones a tree will grow in. It'll grow through, maybe it'll say zones seven through five. It gives you a range. And that way you don't try to plant avocados in Minnesota. It gives you a big ballpark. Beyond that, let me go back to the previous slide. Beyond that, you'll need to fine tune your selections. Once you've gotten a tree that will grow in your zone, you can really fine tune your selections by looking at what grows locally. And this is, this is a very large factor in getting trees that, um, that do well in your area. Because for example, there are in our area apricots. They say that the zones tell us that apricots will grow well in our area. But most people who've tried to grow apricots know that they don't really do well in the long term, even though the tree may survive for a few years. So that kind of thing you can tell by looking at what grows locally. Just look and see what's growing successfully for others. You, you'll probably learn that as you grow your orchard, especially if you're a backyard orchardist, that you might try all these trees and end up growing the same ones that were already growing in your area in the end. Once you've selected your species, you'll want to look at what variety you want of that species. And we all enjoy looking at the different colors, the different tastes, the different sizes, and that's fun, and that's, um, that's nice. But one thing you'll really want to know is what are your challenges in your specific area. For example, in our area, we have um, fire blight and cedar apple rust. And there are apple trees that are susceptible to those diseases, and they'll do very poorly in our area. But there are other apple trees that are resistant to both of those. And so if you know what your challenges are before you select species, then you, then you will be able to intelligently choose species that will resist the problems that are specific to your area. And then once you've decided all that, you'll want to make sure your trees will pollinize each other. For example, um, if you like apples, there are some apples that will not produce fruit if they're by themselves. And there are even a few caveats with some types of fruits where maybe these two pear trees will pollinate each other, but not these two. You just have to make sure your combination is good. And you can check with the nursery to make sure that the combination of fruit trees you're growing will indeed be fruitful. That's just a last note. Once you've selected species and variety, you just ensure that with the nursery. And I already looked at that. So let's talk about tree planting just a little bit. I recommend that you plant most trees in spring. That's when I've done a lot of mine. And there are people who like to plant them in fall, and I don't take issue with that really. I think that planting them in fall is okay too. But personally, I planted them in spring and they've done well for me that way. I also recommend that you prune vigorously at the time of planting. And the reason I say that is because often when a plant, when a tree is dug, 
the roots get cut severely. And if the top is not pruned back, then you have a tree that has a limited root system trying to support a large top. So you try to scale, you try to scale the plant down so it has a balanced bottom and a, a balance between the top and the bottom. Um, for example, actually back there I have some muscadine vines and on the way over they got, it got a little bit cold in transit and thank you. Um, and the root ball started to freeze a little bit. So there may have been a few roots that had some trouble and I talked to Mr. Gregory actually and showed him the vines and he recommended that I cut the tops back because you want to balance it. If there's been any damage to the roots, you want to balance the top and it just, it just gives the plant vigor. A plant is very resilient once you put it in the ground, but if it has little roots and it's trying to support a huge top, that can, that can cause a little bit of trouble. So you want to create that balance. Also, as your trees begin to grow and also even while you're planting and pruning initially, keep training in mind. It's not so important during the first, maybe the first couple months as it will be down the road, but it is something you want to keep in mind. Have an idea of what shape you want the tree to be. For example, if you want it to branch at 30 inches, you might cut it off at 30 inches when you start so that it'll force branches at that level. It's just something you want to keep in mind. And finally, ask the Lord's blessing. He can, he can lead you and some, sometimes it seems like there's a lot to learn, but I know he can lead you and show you things that you otherwise wouldn't know. Okay, let's talk a little bit about pest and disease management. And once again, with this kind of topic, the first thing you're going to need to know is what are your challenges. You might have a variety of tree in the catalog that says disease resistant, but disease, what is it resistant to? You need to know what you have in your area because what one person has in one area is not going to be the same thing another person is going to have. So once you learn what your diseases are by talking to people in your area saying what's the biggest problem with your orchard, then you'll know, then you're then you will know first of all how to select variety like I talked about and also what you're going to have to deal with. And like I and like I have written there, make a plan based on that information when you have when you once you've learned what you have in your area. And real real quickly here, I would like to talk about one thing. I don't have a whole lot of experience spraying trees, but this is something that we have started using and I've seen lots of recommendations for it and we used it this year and it seemed quite successful. It's called Surround. Surround is the name of the product. Surround Crop Protectant. And what this is, this is very organic. All it is is clay. It's refined clay. And especially in the east where I live, we have some pests, specifically one called the plum curculio or plum curculio that attack a lot of fruit trees. And this is something that for those of you who live in the east, like I said, I'm just learning, getting into the spraying of fruit trees. I haven't done a lot with that, but I would steer you in the direction of this. Many people who are growing fruit trees in the east and spraying them have fallen back on this very organic, um, and quite effective spray.
Okay. I said that we were going to have some regional spotlights. And those principles I was talking about previously were principles that apply across the country, um, maybe even in other parts of the world. But these are some spotlights. I interviewed some people, mostly in the U.S., but all in North America, in different areas, and called them over the phone or, or emailed them and asked them three questions. Then I compiled the answers so you could get just a taste of information from different parts of the, of the U.S. And as we go through these, I want you to pay special attention to the, to the one that is near you. So if you're from New England, it doesn't really matter so much to you what people are saying in California or, or Texas, but you'll want to jot down any information that comes from the New, New England area because that's what will apply specifically to you. And also as I go through, I have phone numbers or websites that will give that you can have so you can contact these people directly. The people I interviewed, you can, if you live near them, you can contact them directly and get more information since they're growing in the same area that you are. These are the three questions I asked them. What are your top three challenges to fruit growing in your area specifically? What three fruits grow best in your area? And what two pieces of advice would you give to someone who is planting a new orchard in your area? So some people gave, some people had maybe three pieces of advice or, so the numbers may not line up exactly, but this is what I asked them. I'm going to start with Florida. I have a friend in Florida and his name is Paul Miller. He actually runs a nursery down there. And for those of you who live in Florida or any of the Gulf states or within 100, fairly close to the ocean, anywhere along the Gulf Coast, and even he said down in Houston, and, and there may be some, some of Texas that's very similar to that, I would recommend that you get in contact with him. He is very knowledgeable, and he has had a professional background in plants, and I, I believe it was horticulture in Florida. And so anyone who's living in that area, I would highly recommend that you get in contact with him. The answers to the questions I asked, um, he, he said that his top challenges are late freezes, surprisingly, even in Florida. Um, diseases, the one he named was botrysphaeria, and lack of minor elements in the soil. And so those are things that anywhere along the Gulf Coast and maybe even here in Texas might be similar problems for you all. He'd be happy to talk with you over the phone. And he also sells fruit trees. So I, I think he does a lot of wholesale, but he does do some retail too and he ships them. And so I would recommend that if you're interested, in, especially if you live in this area, that you would get in contact with him and order fruit trees and just talk with him. Second, another person I talked to was a man named Jamie Swingle, and he lives not too far away from me, actually, in Tennessee. The top challenges, he said, in his area are late frosts, which is the same as down in Florida. The man mentioned they have the same problem in Florida. So late frosts, which are especially harmful to peaches. Japanese beetles, which are especially harmful to plum and cherry. And humidity slash too much rain. 
best fruit crops, he said, are blueberries, which require minimal maintenance, pears, and apples. He said his top pieces of advice for someone planting a new orchard would be to fence the orchard before planting trees to protect from deer. And it's discouraging to plant an orchard and have the, tree, have the deer just come in over and over and over again, and especially apples. And certain, certain, tree, certain trees they go after, and it can be discouraging. The second piece of, of, of advice was that you manage soil moisture by locating orchard on a slope. And he said a south slope is nice, so water can drain away from trees and, in, and also install underground drain tile if necessary to manage excess water. And he taught his orchard, he's had some problems with, uh, with wet soil. And so he's talking from experience there saying, lo, don't locate in a wet, uh, wet bottom land because you'll have some trouble there. He did mention that a south slope is nice for trees. And like I told you, for the reasons that I mentioned with the temperature, I would recommend a north slope. I think that, especially depending on what varieties you're growing, a north slope is going to be better. Certain, certain trees could be on a south slope, but he did say a south slope is nice. And his phone number, you can take that down if you're interested. The next person I'm going to talk about is a man named Jerry Travers, and he's in Connecticut. He said that challenges in his area include brown rot disease, Fabria leaf spot, which is specifically on pear, and apple scab. So two of those diseases are specific to certain crops. He said the best fruit crops in his area, well, when I asked him that question, what he said is the variety you choose is just as important, maybe more important than the species you choose to grow. And that's what I was mentioning earlier. You have to choose species, but then there are world, there's a world of difference among varieties. And that's where you'll want to know what diseases you have so you can choose trees that will be resistant to that. He said that species that grow well in his area include clap favorite, which is a pear. I hope you can see that. Yeah, it should work. Um, Baldwin, which is an apple and Concord, the Concord grape. Top pieces of advice, he said, know what varieties do well in your area and only plant those. Look for good air drainage. This means selecting higher ground for orchard cultivation so that the cold air can, can drain away from the fruit trees. We talked about that earlier. You're managing cold, you're managing temperature by just selecting higher ground. His phone number is there if you're interested in taking that down. The next person I will talk about, many of you may have already um, listened to what some of this man has to say about fruit trees. He's done a lot. He has a lot of experience. And his name is, name is Lynn Hoag in California. He said that the top challenges in his area are depleted and shallow soils, getting the right materials for tree planting, and animal pressure. So deer, squirrels, gophers, coons. He said the best fruit trees 
for, his area, for that area in California are peach slash nectarine, apricots, and persimmons. He also made the comment that you want to plant different varieties that will ripen at different times. That'll be an advantage because you can basically have peaches come on in two crops. Um, I actually don't have a lot of experience with peaches, but I'm just saying that if you choose varieties well, you can extend your season quite a bit. He said his top pieces of advice. And uh, this, what, he's, what he said here is a good offer for you all, so I want you all to take note of this. He said, get a soil test from International Ag Lab and get recommendations with it. And then he made an offer. He said, call, call me for free consultation, but if you're going to do that, you're going to need, I would recommend you contact him before you take your soil sample, because he said you'll need to indicate on your soil test that you want him to get a copy of the results so he can talk with you about them. So if you want to take advantage of this, contact Mr. Hoag, his phone number is there, and talk with him about what you're going to do. Let him tell you what you need to do so that he will get a copy of the, of the results, your soil test. And then he said that for free, he would be willing to talk with you about him over the phone. So that's a good offer if you're interested in that. Third piece of advice was just to stay away from poisons, for example, Roundup and similar products or GMOs. This is actually a nursery. I've gotten to know the folks there pretty well. The man's name is uh, Mr. Michael McConkie. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, but he has a nursery in Virginia called Edible Landscaping. And I asked him these same questions interviewed him because I know he doesn't only have a nursery, he has a lot of experience growing. He, he doesn't just sell the trees, he actually grows them there. And you can go tour his nursery and see everything growing. He said that the top challenges in his area are that most popular commercial fruits are susceptible to plum cucurlio. That's what I mentioned this can help take care of. Um, plum cucurlio, which is an insect pest, and also codling moth. Stone fruits are susceptible to brown rot. Uh, and he said, many of the fruit species we sell are easy to grow, however. And I have, I do, can back that up. They sell a lot of good trees. And if you're interested in getting in contact with them, his website is there. And I'll read it to you just so, just in case you can't read it. It's edible landscaping, two words run together, ediblelandscaping.com. And... They have a, lot, a good selection of trees, and they also, they're, they're quite willing to work with you. That's really nice. They'll work with you, talk with you, give you advice. So best fruit crops, he said, for his area in Virginia, said persimmon would be first, then jujube, which is a fruit you may not have heard of, but it's a very unique fruit, a Chinese. I believe it was grown widely in China. And he said that's the second best crop for their area. And then the third is mulberry. And I believe they sell all of these on their website. The top pieces of advice. Number one, only plant apples in this area he's talking about. Only plant apples that are not susceptible to fire blight and cedar apple rust. So this gives you a clue what you need to deal with if you're in his part of the country. Of course, down here in Texas, you might have different diseases. But if you're in there... Um, you're going to want to plant apples that are resistant to those diseases. And also, number two, 
Only plant peaches if you are willing to professionally manage them. So it's managing diseases, I believe. Just he's saying, be warned if you're going to plant peaches in this area. So the website, once again, if you want to get in contact with these folks or order trees, it's edibelandscaping.com. Finally, I talked to someone who's actually in British Columbia, has some trees growing there, and he's here at the conference. Um, his name is Rudy Harnish, and he said his top challenges there in British Columbia are deer. He also mentioned elk, but the deer family. Water, water challenges. I believe he was saying too much water. I mean, too little water. I should have written down whether that was too much or too little water. I believe he was saying that it's hard to get enough water in their area. And insect problems. The best fruit crops in their area, he said, are cherries, apples, and apricots. The top pieces of advice, again, for British Columbia, Crest in British Columbia, avoid frost pockets by careful selection of location. And that would hark back to managing your temperatures by, I would suggest, higher elevation and even north slope. And then two, look for the right kind of soil to plant in. So you're utilizing what's naturally there and then improving it from there. His phone number is written there. It's 250-254-2542. Uh, 2524, excuse me, 250-254-2542, excuse me, I'm getting tangled, I'll say this one more time, 250-254-2524, there we go, and so looks like we'll have quite a bit of time for questions if we want to do that, I just want to thank you all for coming and listening. And we have some time to talk about specific questions. If you all would like to ask any questions. Okay, I'll just, I'll start right here in front. Yeah, so um, site pre pre uh, preparation. Um, Ellen White has some sort of whole uh, recommendation for how to dig your hole and how to uh, Yeah, the question um, was about the method that Ellen White talked about. It's something that Mr. Hoag has a lot of information on. And we actually planted most of our trees that way. It, I think it is a good method. Um, I didn't talk about it too much here, but I think it's certainly a good method. And once again, that would be something that would require quite a bit of work. And I think it's good if you're able to do it. But if you can't do it, still plant the tree because it's worth getting going. Um, and also, one thing we ran into just a little bit was that that will give your trees a good start, but you can't forget to address the native soil all around it. So if you have, if you have poor soil to begin with and you dig a three by three hole and do that, it's excellent. It gives your trees a good start, but it won't fix the fact that all the soil around is poor. So you still need to address the, so the native soil around there in addition to doing that, but it'll, it'll give your trees a good start for sure. And one thing you'll want to do if you do that three by three hole is the, the soil will sink a lot. 
So if you level your hole off flat and come back a year later, that tree will have sunken down quite a bit. So you'll want to mound the soil up above the hole so that when it sinks, mound it up anywhere from 6 to 12 inches so that by the time it settles, you've got, it's pretty level with the ground. Does that make sense? Okay. Any other questions? Okay, I'll go here and then I'll work my way back. Hmm. How does that affect the... I do, I do know that, oh, the question was, he's, he was asking, he says he have, we have a lot that grows a lot of good trees, but they're mostly cedars and walnuts. And he was wondering how that would affect the fruit trees. I do know that certain trees tend to grow, tend to indicate good soil or bad soil. Um, and cedar trees... My general impression is that cedar trees will grow where other trees won't. So um, you, you'll just have to look at your, see how the growth on them is. And now walnuts should, from my observation, walnuts do grow in pretty nice soils. So that's a good indication. Well, I do know that walnut trees near gardens is a bad thing. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I would say that I would just say that you'd have to look at the soil and see if, see if the cedar trees are growing there because nothing else will, or see if it's just good soil and there happen to be cedar trees growing there. Yeah. Okay. You were wondering about fire blight, talking a little bit about fire blight. Um, fire blight is a big problem in the east especially where we live. I know it's from Arkansas, Tennessee, all the way up to Michigan. I think, I think Indiana would be included in that. I wouldn't be surprised if you have some here, but I don't know. I just know that it's in those. Oh, you said you do have it here? Okay. I believe it's an eastern thing. I don't think they have it out west. I know it's a big thing in the east. And personally, I would recommend that you choose um, varieties that are resistant to it because they're actually quite prevalent. If you know what you're looking for, you can get apples and pears that are both resistant to that. If you're looking, if you know, like, if you know that fire blight is an issue, you can get varieties that are resistant to that. So that's probably your first line of defense. I, oh, the question was, what do you do if you already have fire blight? I think that... If you already have trees planted that get fire blight, the prospect might, may not be very good. There are, in our area, we have a lot of apple trees that grow well, and they do get some fire blight, but it's not enough to kill a tree. So every other year, we'll get a, a, a wet spell, and several of the twigs will wither from fire blight, but the tree never dies. So it probably depends on what kind of tree you have. Some trees will get it just a little bit here and there, and it doesn't kill the tree, whereas sometimes it can just wipe, wipe everything out. So it probably depends on what, your, what kind of variety you have. Yeah? One, one of the best resources that I know of with the issue of diseases and how to manage them in a natural organic way, it's, on the, it's actually the book on the table back there. It's The Holistic Orchard. That guy's growing in New Hampshire. 
uh, with the principles of how he does it, including using surround. But he goes through the diseases in depth and he shows you how do I take care of this naturally. So he's, he's beyond organic in a sense that he's not doing a conventional spray approach, which in some cases those sprays aren't good uh, for you or for the, the insects, and et cetera, et cetera. So I would recommend that resource. Okay, and I'll just say that he, he was recommending a book called The Holistic Orchard, which is a man who does a hol holistic organic approach to diseases. And I don't believe he's a Christian, but there is a lot of information there. And so do we have any more questions? Okay. What do you recommend for mulching on the trees? What do I recommend for mulching? Steward or not steward, or what to use? I think it's good. I think it's, I, if I can, I mulch my trees. I do know that if you use wood chips, I know that some mulches will take up nitrogen, and I think the, I think the effect of that is going to be a lot less if you put it on top of the ground than if you dig it into the ground, but I think it's a good idea. It, it adds a continual supply of organic matter that's continually decaying, especially if you add it every year. It's kind of, yeah? Could you give us any light on citrus? Citrus. I have had minimal experience personally. I've been, been around people who grew citrus, but that was many years ago. I haven't done citrus. We're in Tennessee, so I do know. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. With tree selection, how do we factor in root selection? Yeah, that's one thing I would be good to cover. Um, my dad was pointing out that with... Uh, tree selection, you, wanna, you want to not only select trees, but you also have rootstocks to select. And that's something that I went into last year a little bit in the class I taught last year. So I'll touch on it briefly. When you go to select your trees, I was talking about selecting variety. There's a whole other dimension to every tree that you buy, pretty much every tree, every modern fruit tree, and that is the roots that it's grafted on. And that's a whole different selection. So maybe you choose to get a red delicious apple because it's resistant to this and this and this. Your second choice is what roots are you going to grow that on? Because those roots also have bearing on how your tree is going to perform in the long run. So basically you have two selections when you get a tree. You have to select what fruit you want to grow. So a red delicious apple, then you have to select what roots you want to grow that on and they'll come with their own set of characteristics. So thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the question was the question was with uh, when it gets cold. Um, she was talking about how some people mist mist their trees or water them to help give them extra hardiness. I haven't done that a lot, but I have heard about it, and we have friends in the area who do it, um, at least acquaintances who do, and the principle is that when it gets, especially in the spring, several people talked about spring frosts being an issue. When, you, when your trees bloom in spring, and then, like in Tennessee often happens, it gets warm, your trees bloom, and then you have a cold snap come through, and it drops down to... 29 degrees and kills a lot of your blooms. What some people will do is they will set sprinklers on their trees. 
I've never done this, but I've heard, read about it. They'll set sprinklers on their trees, and what that does is they sprinkle the trees during the entire duration of the freeze. So there is constantly ice forming on the tree. Now, if the freeze lasts too long, if you have a 24-hour freeze, then you have ice building up for 24 hours on a tree, and it can start to break the limbs. Um, but if you don't have a freeze that's that long, you can water them um, during the duration of the freeze. And as, as the ice, I believe it's as the ice, as the water is turning into ice, it releases just enough heat to keep the blooms from freezing. Um, but it has to be actively turning into ice. You can't just ice them and then let them sit. You have to have water continually freezing on them during the whole time it's freezing. So that's what I've heard about it. I've never done it. What have you guys planted at your homestead? What have we planted at our homestead? We've planted a whole lot, and it's been a learning process. Um, all the popular fruits, the peaches, nectarines, apples, apricots, uh, plums, pears, and then some smaller fruits, grapes and muscadines, and some persimmons and some different nuts, and a lot of different ones. It's been a huge learning curve. For, um, I feel like... I'm just starting to understand more and more, but I know I still have more to learn. But we've tried a lot, and we've learned that certain ones do a lot better. And I think that's a good idea. I mean, you might learn that you might want to plant certain trees because you think they do well. But, and I recommend do, do that. Plant the trees you think will do well, but you'll learn if you plant some trees that, that are supposed to grow in your area, but you don't see growing, you'll, it'll just add to your knowledge base. What trees, what fruits have done the best in your area? What fruits have done the best in our area? On our homestead, our trees are five years old. And so we have some of them just starting to come into production. Some of them didn't do so well. Uh, some of them are, we picked the fruit off a few of them to keep them from fruiting because they were too young. So apples are the main crop we've gotten a decent crop of so far. But... I would say that if you're willing to spray your fruit trees, apples do well in our area. I'd say this is the main spray you'll have to use. There might be some others. But if you're willing to spray your trees, apples do well in Tennessee. Um, pears do very well. That's a tree that almost goes wild in terms of even after people have left a homestead for years, a pear tree will still be standing and doing well. And persimmons is something that grow natively, and they have, cult they have some cultivated varieties of American persimmons that you can buy, and also the Asian persimmons, like the fuyus that you buy in the store, those ones I think have a lot of potential in our area. And then muscadine grapes do well too. So those are some of the ones that, yeah. Any other questions? She's asking if we have a chill hour issue. In our area, no, not really, because it's cold enough that almost any chill hour requirement is met. Um, however, in you, I don't know how much of an issue you would have here in Texas with chill hours. Really? Okay. So the farther south you get, and this for, for those of you who live in the south, this is something you will want to take note of when you're selecting species. The farther south you get, your trees selection will be limited by by the fact that you don't have a cold winter here 
Now, when you choose, when you look at the zones of a tree, it'll say zone six through three or whatever the zones are. That should give you an idea of whether it'll grow here. If it says it grows in zone eight, it should be able to grow here with no problem um, from what I understand. But if you have chill, but I do know that the farther south you go, you're gonna have to make sure that you have trees that don't need much cold in the winter in order to perform well. Another resource, okay. there's, a, there's a guy, if, for those of you in the south like that maybe have that issue and like apples, there's a guy with a nursery in California and then I think he's also even got in Africa. He's done a lot of trial and error with uh, apples and he's found a lot of varieties including a lot of heirloom varieties of apples which a lot of times taste better and uh, they can be more disease resistant but he's got a huge list in his nursery of what apples do really well in like low chill hour climates and it's called Coffle Creek okay. Apple Nursery. So he was just saying that there's a, sounds like a man who has done a lot of research into apples and you said he has a wide variety of apples, especially ones that don't require low, that do yeah, not require. Like his whole focus is basically apples that can grow in very hot climates so that with the chill hour issue, it's a non-factor. Okay, so he's, he's promoting apples that don't require much chill. And what did you say the? Coffel Creek Apple Nursery. How do you spell that? Just K-U-F-F-E-L. So K-U-F-F-E-L. K-U-F-F-E-L Creek, Creek Apple Nursery. Nursery. Okay, is he online? Yeah. Okay, okay, back here. I, he's asking if we have had bird issues with our apples. I haven't seen birds as a big issue with apples. I, from the little bit that I've observed, it seems like birds like the smaller fruits, like blueberries and and uh, cherries. Yeah. Um, in our area, if you grow enough blueberries, usually it's not an issue. And I haven't seen them attack the apples. I have seen. Other critters, I think it's opossums or raccoons, attack the apples. And we just, this year, we set up a little electric fence around our, around our apple orchard, the apple trees that we had fruiting. And it was just about a foot high with two wires, one maybe three inches above the ground and another six inches above the ground. And we just bought one of those electric fence kits that you can get in the store that has a solar panel. So it's portable, you just take it out to your orchard and that kept them out this year, so we were grateful for that. Back there. Do you use uh, the surround in place of dormant oil? Do I use surround in place of dormant oil? I haven't personally used dormant oil, so I don't. I can't really say. I don't think. I don't think this serves the same purpose as dormant oil. I think it's a different purpose, but I personally haven't used dormant oil. Yeah. Um, no, uh, neem oil place of dormant oil. Neem oil is a natural plant. Mm -hmm. They use that in place of the chemical dormant Okay. Oil. He's saying the neem oil in place of dormant oil. I have heard I, I've heard polarized arguments over the neem oil issue as to whether it's safe or not, but I don't really know. I haven't concluded. Uh, let me go over here. For those who get lime sulfur, uh -huh. Okay, so lime sulfur helps with 
the fungus, and it is considered organic, you said? Okay. Thank you. We've got seven more minutes. So, do you have any more questions? Back there. So you're you're wondering if we wrap our trees in Tennessee yeah. for cold protection? The only trees I wrap are trees that are borderline. For example, figs will grow in our area and we're trialing kiwi, but we're right on the border as far as the northern zones of where they grow. So those are the only ones I do anything with. The other, the, everything else, um, we've wrapped the trunks sometimes, but not consistently. What we do do is on the young trees, we'll put something around the trunk often to keep the rabbits from chewing the, chewing the bark. That's a little problem we've had. It's not huge, but it doesn't take much to put something around a young tree, the trunk, to keep the rabbits off of it, or the whatever it is that chews on them. Yeah. Okay, back there. The surround, she's wondering if we mix it with water. Yeah, we mix this with water, and I don't have the ratio right now as to what it is, but it's, it's very simple to mix with water. We just put it in a backpack sprayer, Put in the amount and shake it up really well and spray it. It's very simple. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wondering about pruning. Yeah. I prune. I tend to prune later in the winter. Some people prune in the dead of winter, but I tend to prune in like February or even March. Because if you, pr for example, if I had pruned in December and then we had a winter like we just did, I could have had some problems because pruning tends to make a plant less hardy. So, yeah, I do prune dur during the winter, but I try to wait until, until most the most bitter cold has passed. It's okay if it freezes, but you don't want those deep cold snaps to come through after you've pruned. Okay, you're wondering about how I prune? Um, I would say that, well, there are several different, different uh, methods, or I should say uh, paradigms of pruning. Some people like to, I would say the general principles are to get good air circulation. And so that, that would mean if you have like a bunch of, if you have a bunch of branches going like this, you might take out all but three of them. And, and it's generally, you don't want a twiggy tree. You want a tree that's open, that even when it's in full leaf, the wind blows through it and doesn't come against it like a wall. And so there are different, different paradigms as far as the actual shape that you prune, but the idea is to make it so the wind can blow through it and so the sun can get inside of it and not just hit the outside leaves. Those are the principles. Yeah. She's asking if the surround is diatomaceous earth. No, it's not. It's just clay. Just kaolin, or I'm not sure how you pronounce it. It's, it's a certain kind of clay. And so we better wrap up here pretty quick. I want to thank you all for coming and for your interest. Um, and I guess we will be welcoming the Sabbath here soon. So I hope you have a wonderful evening. 
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.